But one of the hashtags I used was quite sensibly nunchucks because it was one of the topics of one of the clips in my episode. Now this got me a new person who liked my episode and it's James N. Maloney Esquire. Now one of the things I've learned about the term Esquire is you don't give it to yourself. Someone actually has to give it to you. But since it's antiquated, no one actually goes around giving the term Esquire to anyone else. So anyone who's using it is probably doing it wrong. Totally different issue. James M. Maloney. So I decided to go check his profile since he was one of the only people who liked that tweet. I don't get a lot of followers and stuff, but I don't really care about that. And it says, lawyer who won constitutional challenges to New York's bans on nunchucks, but lost at many other attempts at seeking justice. Basically, this guy took on the battle in New York City for conceal and carry of nunchucks. And his website is called nunchucklaw.com. So that's a site you probably want to visit. Now, I don't think he actually listened to the episode. This is something I'm suspicious of. When I get likes, I post stuff, I post the little ads on Instagram and I get a lot of likes, but most of them I get almost instantly, which makes me think it's just a bot who finds the hashtag and then gives you a like for the hashtag because there's no way they've taken the time to listen to the actual episode before they like. Now it turns out this man the same week was actually on the daily show and they were making fun of him for fighting for the right to carry nunchucks in New York city. So while I appreciate Mr. Maloney Esquire's like on Twitter for my post that includes the hashtag nunchucks, I get the odd feeling he didn't actually listen to the episode and find out that I think nunchucks are a pretty stupid thing to use and carry around. Because while I didn't come out and say it that directly, that was in there. The nunchucks are not a great weapon for people to use, and there's no real reason to carry them around. So my very good friend Tommy loves to point out when I haven't completed my research in some way or been thorough enough in his opinion. And he usually prefaces statements with, don't you do any research or something like that. And so I honestly was trying to put the Minotaur as a topic to bed because every time I talk about Minotaurs, I talk about Centaurs, I talk about all the things that I think are wrong with the world. But it turned out one of my questions was, is the Minotaur the name of the individual 
or is Minotaur the name of the species? Now, it turns out that my friend Tommy knew that the Minotaur was the name of the species because we know there was only one Minotaur in existence. And that was actually my point of confusion. Do you give a single individual a name and that is also the name of the species or do you name the species and then give the individual a name? Because there might be more Minotaur that show up in the future. Well, it turns out the Minotaur's name was Asterion. And that was the name of his foster father. He adopted the name of the father who took care of him and raised him and then put him in a labyrinth, locked him away forever so he could eat virgins. Now, because I had been accused of not doing my research, which is honestly quite often a very fair accusation, a lot of this is off the top of my dome. It has nothing to do with uh, actual facts. Uh, this is primarily an entertainment podcast. But mo that means most of the things I say are opinion-based. And if they're opinion-based, I don't really need to do research. That's the nice thing about it. But in this case, I had to go do a little bit of research to make sure that when I found out it was Asterion, and again, trying to answer the question I had initially asked, is it his name or is it like the proper noun of the thing? And I used the term proper noun because that is how it was phrased in the article I read. Turns out that he wasn't called the Minotaur. So here's a, a mind blown for everybody. He was actually just called Asterion. So Asterion was then the proper noun for that creature. So that was actually what they called the species, the thing with a human body and a bull head and a bull tail. It wasn't until the 20th century in fantasy fiction that the word Minotaur was created. So back when they actually supposedly had a Minotaur, they never used the word Minotaur. They used the word Asterion. And what they were talking about was, again, both the species and the name of the individual. So they put them together. And again, sort of the same question I had, because if I am unique in the world, like let's say I am born and I'm just different. I have an octopus legs and a human body, which is pretty cool now that I think of it. And you call me Peter, but then am I Peter or is my species Peter? Because let's say more are born later on. They will have individual names, but then what do we call that species? And you might just call those things are now Peters and each one following me gets their own name. So you get David and George, uh, the other hybrid octopi human hybrids. So now we have all learned something. A, that the creature that we call Minotaur is actually called Asterion as a noun and as a proper name. The word Minotaur is a relatively recent invention. And finally, I don't want to talk about Minotaurs anymore. Cora question, how do I tell my boss that my resignation letter was just a push for more salary and not actually resigning? They are taking it seriously. Uh... I don't use a lot of current slang on the podcast because I'm old and I don't know current slang, but I believe the appropriate phrase in this case is you played yourself because here's the problem with bluffing in any situation. They might take your bluff seriously. So if you're not willing to take the consequences of them pushing the bluff, then you should not bluff. Bluffing in most cases is not a very good idea because what you're actually doing 
is putting the power or the ability or the decision, therefore the result, in other people's hands. You've resigned. They can take that as seriously as they want. They might think, oh, he's a very valued employee, but we can't afford to pay him more. So we'll have to take his resignation. Uh, once you've put in your resignation, they might immediately start looking for someone to replace you. And then you come back and say, well, I don't actually want to leave. And it's like, well, we're actually already in the process of replacing you. And that costs us money. So it's not actually worth stopping the process once it's begun. And the second thing is, why would they not take your resignation seriously? Because once you've resigned, you're actually saying, I've already come to a position where I don't believe that you can satisfy me anymore. There's no reason to negotiate, so I'm leaving. If you wanted to negotiate for a higher salary, as the question asker does and says in this case, then what you needed to do was sit down and say, I want to try to negotiate for a higher salary. Maybe you could throw a bluff in on the end and say, I would actually be very dissatisfied if I didn't get it, or I need some improvement to my situation, or I might start looking for other places. But that doesn't put you in a position where you lose your job. What has happened now is you've said, I'm not working here anymore, and you can't really go back on that. Because even if you do, you go to your boss and you say, look, I was just trying to get you to give me a raise. I was just trying to get you to give me a higher salary. I was just trying to get you to, to open negotiations with me. Well, he didn't know any of that. All he has is a letter that says, I don't want to work here anymore. And he says, well, better look for someone to replace him. What you can do is just go tell your boss, look, I was just trying to negotiate. But that puts you in a weaker position from that point forward because they now think whenever he tells us something, he's probably just bluffing because he's already bluffed. It puts you in a bad position because now they don't feel like you're being sincere and honest with them when you actually deal with them. It puts you in a bad position now because you tried to trick them into giving you more salary. So I think the real problem here is you resigned, assuming that you were valuable enough for, you, for them to try to keep you. So you didn't look for another job to replace the job you had. Now what you've just found out is you weren't as valuable as you thought you were. And now you have to go find another job, which means there's going to be a space of unemployment. And because you resigned, I'm assuming that in your state or whatever, wherever you are, you're not going to get the same benefits from the government. They're not going to support you. You might not even have set this up in advance. Like you, haven't, uh, you might not have enough money in your savings to give you the time to look for another job. I don't know what the job market is like where you are. But you can't really use resignation as a power tool unless you are in a position to get another job quickly should it go wrong. If you're going to make a bluff like this, you actually have to make it serious. You can't make a half-hearted bluff. If I was going to bluff a resignation, I would already hopefully have some jobs lined up in case they took my bluff seriously. I mean, that's the eventuality. That's the worst case scenario that you have to prepare for that this question asker clearly has not prepared for. And the second thing is you have to have a true and honest understanding of your value to the company before you bluff. So people often overestimate their value to the company. Like this place would shut down if I wasn't working here. They couldn't run this place without me. That is very rarely the truth. It is honestly most jobs you could swap out one person for a new person and everything would go just fine. Might slow down, might need some more guidance, uh, but... New employees tend to be enthusiastic, which actually tends to offset their lack of ability. So employers often quite like new employees. Also, and here's maybe another thing you hadn't thought of, 
new employees tend to be cheaper than old ones. So I, in my company, am at what would be considered a fairly high level. But I can tell you right now, if I quit today, they would have someone else in my position within a week and everything would run fairly well. Let's, we could even say not as well as when I was running it or maybe the morale of the people I work with would be lower. But I don't even know if that's true. They might actually find someone who is a more bright personality because I didn't get the name Grumpy Uncle Peter because I'm such a sunshiny person. But that is something that I am aware of. So when I work with other people, I try to employ humor. I try to make things fun. I try to make the atmosphere positive. I know I can say a lot of really awful things. But because I know that I'm replaceable, I do have a skill set and it's very valuable to my company. But it's a skill set that isn't difficult to acquire, which is a very sad thing to admit to yourself. Because it's how to, how to do my work, how to run my processes, how to do my things. And again, someone might come in and because of their enthusiasm, find a hundred ways to do it better than the way I already do it. So that's actually a bigger risk for me, should I want to bluff in any situation. And this is a self-assessment issue. And it goes back to the Dunning-Kruger effect. I have to uh, give some acknowledgement to, to my man, Austin, because he's the one who pointed out I was saying that backwards a while back. And now I'm trying to say it right. I actually find it difficult. I pause before I say it every time now, but... The Dunning-Kruger effect. Assessing yourself in many situations, you're not very good at it. So the fact that I have realized what I, that I am replaceable, that my skill set is learnable, that the things I do, maybe I do well, but that's because of experience and other people just need experience to do things to the same level. That in itself means that I've hit a level where I understand my own worth and value. And that's why I wouldn't bluff a resignation because I know they would just go, ah, oh, Peter, it's really sad that you're leaving. We hope things go really well for you in your next job that you clearly have already set up because you wouldn't be quitting otherwise. And then they would immediately start thinking, who do we get to replace this guy? So this sounds like a similar situation, except they have not done the appropriate self-assessment. They haven't seen their value to the company. They haven't figured out because of the Dunning-Kruger effect. See, there was the pause right there. Because of the Dunning-Kruger effect, they overestimated their own worth and value and now we're in a situation where they bluffed based on that overestimation and now have not lost their job. They have quit their job and their employer will not care the fact that they've left. That company is going to roll on probably just fine. So if you're going to do something like this, bluffing, you have to remember, prepare for the worst case scenario. And that's that they call your bluff and you lose 100% of the bluff you were trying to make. There were several would-you-rather questions posted around the internet recently. It became like a sudden trend in a day. It was on Reddit. It was on a couple other websites. I think they actually just pulled them from Reddit. But there's some that were worth discussing. So the first one is actually a really standard one. I've heard it before. Is Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Horses are quite strong for their size. But something I've learned quite recently is strength and size are very relative. So a duck scaled up to the size of a horse is a very dangerous thing. And in fact, quite terrifying. Ducks are surprisingly strong. I've, pretty much all birds are surprisingly strong for their size. So once you start to scale that upward to the size of a horse, so I'm assuming that the body of the duck is now the size of the body of a horse. The snapping power of the jaws would be exponentially increased so really, fighting a horse-sized duck means that if it gets its bill 
on you and grabs down and clamps down, it could probably crush whatever it gets a hold of. So it gets your arm. That arm is now useless. It gets your head. You're dead. The secondary issue is the ability to swipe with the bill, the duck bill. It would clobber you. The size of the neck, again, has been exponentially increased. I think if a duck hits you, it would, it would hurt a little bit. You would, ow. Not really a huge amount of damage. You might get a bruise, something like that, in a worst-case scenario. But you scale that up to the size of a horse, it would easily knock you over. Birds are particularly vicious when they fight. A horse-sized duck, I would see, is incredibly dangerous. A hundred duck-sized horses. Horses, primarily the way they injure you, would be biting or kicking. Now, a bite from a tiny horse, again, would hurt. It would be like a strong clamp, let's say. But I don't think... I think in a lot of cases, they might not even be able to break the skin if you had tough skin. If I'm wearing pants, I actually would be pretty confident their bites wouldn't do that much damage at all. It might, again, hurts, fine. And then the kicks, because of the scaling down of the size of the legs, I don't think the kicks would be particularly effective. I don't think they would be painful. So what they're talking about, what they're trying to get to is numbers, overwhelming numbers. But it seems to me that 100, while a great number of duck-sized horses would not be able to do much if you just kept stomping constantly. Now that immediately brings up a very horrible vision of a future where I am walking around, I assume in a room where I'm stomping horses. If you can find a way to funnel them, I think you would have a great chance. You might get, ex the, the real problem you would be fighting is exhaustion. Now perhaps the joy of killing that many tiny horses is enough to get you through, but I think for most people it wouldn't be. If you can maintain control of the environment, of the situation, then you have a great advantage. Because the horses, I don't think they have strategy when working together. Because horses, as herd animals, I think they tend to run away. They tend to run two things. Uh, as individuals, they might kick. So if, you, if they maintain their mindset, I think you would have a great chance of beating them because you could basically funnel them towards you and fight them, not necessarily individual, but a few at a time. I think horses also would panic much more easily than a horse-sized duck. So if I had to make that choice, I would much rather fight 100 duck-sized horses as opposed to one horse-sized duck. The loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Individual, the Minotaur we know, because there was only Minot 1, because we know there was only...